Hello, everybody. This is Rick Manning, President of Americans for Limited Government, and just wanted to touch base about the big speech by Joe Biden tonight, uh, State of the Union. And you're going to be surprised, but the State of the Union is just fine. It's strong. Um, you know, that's what we're going to hear. The um, uh, Joe Biden is going to be um, hail himself as the great deficit cutter, um, the man who won't negotiate cutting the size of government in the debt ceiling. Um, wants to claim that the ending of things like uh, COVID policies and spending that was directly related to COVID um, and ending that spending, he's, you know, he's taking credit while the budget deficit went down on my watch, even though it had nothing to do with him. In fact, um, he's going to claim about a $1.8 trillion drop in the deficit in his two, two years in office and, uh, and the deficit has dropped, the annual deficit has dropped by $1.8 trillion. That's not disputable. What is disputable is why. And about $1.6 trillion of that, of that is directly um, related to, guess what? It's related to our uh, uh, COVID ending. And the rest is related to the fact our revenues have gone up from 2019 uh, by $1.5 trillion, our, our economy has generated one, is generating and generating 2022, $1.5 trillion more than it did in 2019. This isn't because tax policies. This is because um, once everybody else has returned to work. And so they've returned to work, and yet they have some sensibilities about different things. Um, and so the economy has ended up uh, growing quite a bit. People have been, as they make more money, are put into higher tax brackets. And as a result, they're sending more money to the federal government. And that is a, and so what Joe Biden is saying on one hand is, um, I'm the beneficiary of a $1.5 trillion addition to our revenues, um, getting us to $4.9 trillion in 2022. But, but uh, I still have a, had a budget deficit of $1.2 trillion, $1.2 trillion, $2.5 trillion, um, directly related to the $400 billion that he spent on student loans that he didn't have authorization. The Supreme Court's determining whether or not that he had the power to, uh, to basically arbitrarily just lower student, student loan debt. So the Supreme Court's going to make that determination. Um, that was a $400 billion spend. Um, if he hadn't done that, the budget deficit would be down, would have been down to about $850 billion. Um, we're talking about, you know, seeming unending, un, unending and unaccounted for uh, money going to Ukraine. Um, and, you know, that might be a, a national policy. It's a good national policy if Congress says, you know, Congress has to authorize that. So at least he's not just doing it arbitrarily. But it is, a, it is an expenditure that wasn't planned on. Um, and we have another situation that Robert Romano and DailyTorch.com here at Americans for Limited Government has been all over. And that is uh, on Medicaid, which Congress doesn't even consider because they look at Medicaid as being, um, a part of mandatory spending. So they don't even really look about what they can do about it because they don't want to be accused of cutting Medicaid. Well, there are over 10 million people who are on Medicaid now who are not eligible. They got on because they because of economic dislocation during COVID 
and Congress passed something that said that prohibited states from throwing them off Medicaid when they no longer qualified. So there's about 10 to 15 million free riders on Medicaid who are getting, who are taking Medicaid, taking the benefit, but they're not actually eligible for the benefit. And on March 1, uh, due to legislation passed Congress, um, they are going to, uh, the states are now going to be allowed to disengage these people from Medicaid. And so that will be a, a process that the states will do. It's their, their place, but it should have a dramatic impact on the Medicaid spending um, simply by lowering the number of recipients. Currently there's about 90 million recipients of Medicaid. If you took the 10 to 10 to 15 million, say 15 million off, that actually cuts your Medicaid spending by about a sixth. And it's a, and, you know, you drop Medicaid spending by a sixth, that's going to take a huge hunk on the budget deficit. There's a couple of things that can be done. They're just easy peasy. And, you know, Biden really has, uh, and should be actually non-negotiable. Um, but I suspect he won't talk about ways to further lower the deficit. He's going to talk about, uh, claim the victory of him lowering the deficit. And the bottom line is if he had actually passed the budgets that the Republicans in the House and the Republicans in the Senate were proposing, if they he'd passed that and been amenable to talking about real compromise in terms of cuts, um, he could actually take some credit on it. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't. And with the debt ceiling debate, which I'm sure he'll be very strident about, uh, talking about how you know that it'll be calamitous for the country if we don't pass a debt ceiling increase, seems to me they forgets his constitutional role. Um, his constitutional role is he didn't have one. He's, he can sign a bill, and but it's the House of Representatives that has to, pre has to present that bill. And so hopefully what will happen is um, Speaker McCarthy will pass a debt ceiling increase bill that puts real guardrails and cuts the budget, and or at least stems the growth of the, of the budget, and, uh, and zero growths it for a few years. If that happens, then the Senate can figure it out. And the Senate can then can then fight it out with the House in terms of what they're willing to send to the president. And ultimately, the president can decide if he wants to sign it or not. But he didn't get to write it. He didn't get to dictate terms. He gets to he, he gets to say, here's what I will sign. Here's what I won't sign. But the fact is, if he thinks of keeping the raising the debt ceiling so important, then he'll need to sign whatever they send to him. And that will be a decision he gets to make. Other, other things he'll talk about, um, he continually, uh, astonishingly, he continually claims, at least his press secretary, continually claims that the gas prices are lower today than they were when he took office, um, which is just factually untrue. Um, gas prices were um, near, were down around 260 a gallon when he took office. And um, for those of us who are paying attention, uh, it's about, at least, I just say today I paid about three sixty a gallon, so it's about a buck more where I where I got my gas. Um, so it's a so you look at it and you say, okay, well that's not true. Um, he'll talk about fix you know restoring man, the manufacturing sector, and the challenge is with that is yeah a lot of manufacturing a lot of manufacturers shut down when the government shutdown occurred due to COVID, and because of the state policies that wouldn't open, allow them to open. Many of them remained shut down through the remainder of the Trump administration. And then magically, when Biden became president, 
they all those liberal states, the Californias, the New Yorks, and the like, all suddenly opened their opened their economies up, and so you had some of those manufacturer manufacturing jobs rebound. The truth is, there's about 200,000 more manufacturing jobs in America now than there was in 2019, um, and and so before the COVID uh, shutdowns. So if he wants to take credit for uh, a an increase of 200,000 manufacturing jobs in the country out of about five and a half million, he can do so. But the fact is, um, he wants to. What he wants to do is he always wants to. Uh, start from uh, the point that where he want, it doesn't want to start from when the economy got had, got COVID, got the Chinese flu, and it just and it had a negative impact on the entire economy. He doesn't want to start from 2019, which is the real benchmark, or at least February 2020, which is the real benchmark. He wants to start in when the recovery was about 65 to 70 percent through. And so it increases his numbers and it really makes Trump's numbers look terrible. But bottom line is because it destroyed all the job gains that President Trump had over four, over three years. Biden also is really good right now at talking about um, how people are making more money and, and, and he doesn't actually understand that the cost, there's something called real wages and real wages, the people are losing are their money is worth less now and buys less than it did. And the raises that they might have gotten have not kept up with inflation. And so we see that real wages are actually lower. It's part of the reason why people are discontented. And it's a because you don't, you know, you know, the syndrome is simple. And I, I saw it in the 70s with my my mom when I was growing up. And she used to say, the harder I work, the farther I fall behind. And that's exactly true. So um, that's what we're seeing now. I want to take some uh, comments here because it's uh, people are jumping in with all sorts of good comments. So let's see what we have. Um, uh, first one. First one in. Oh, there we go. I, I kind of obviously I'm not uh, I was attracted by the Kansas City chief sign. And Jeannie Trevino, I will tell you this. I am, um, uh, I don't fall, I'm not neither a Philadelphia Eagle fan nor a Kansas City Chief fan, but the, I really don't like the Philly fans. Um, they're pretty obnoxious. And so if I have to go for somebody, I'm going to go for the Chiefs. Although I really like, I think Jalen Hurts is an ups, really a, uh, Seems like a really good guy. And uh, so no matter who wins, I think uh, uh, I think everybody will make a lot of money and you and I will be the ones giving them the, giving them money by uh, continuing to put eyeballs on the tube and allowing the NFL to uh, charge exorbitant rates for their for their television shows. Um, let's see here. Um, it seems like a theme. We've got a theme. Let's say. Uh, um, and there's a theme. Wow, this is great stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, Catherine, this is a, a great point because what you're uh, there's a couple of reasons why this why our spending is so high. One I talked about was the continuing uh, claims. So people are just have been remaining on Medicaid, even though they weren't qualified and with a massive impact on our budget with how much we spend. 
you know, the other is, and we really have a hard time getting our arms around the truth on this, but, and so I won't quote figures, but it, but we do know that with uh, 5 million illegal aliens coming across the board in the last two years, um, there is a, we have a, a problem because there's a taxing of our social service networks that is overburdening them, makes it so they don't, aren't responsive to people who are eligible, who are uh, and genuinely need them because they're busy chasing around after a bunch of people who are in the system who shouldn't be there. And, you know, it's so cutting, making it so uh, people who come to this country illegal, illegally are not beneficiaries of our system is kind of fundamental. In fact, for to be a legal immigrant, you have to be able to show you have a job for a reason, because the, the policy our immigration policy is if you don't have a job, we're you can't we're not going to let you come here legally because we don't want to support you. And when you have a policy like the Biden administration, where basically you let everybody in and then they go to sanctuary states that are going to basically bury the, uh, allow them to get all the social services. And suddenly the federal government's paying a huge amount of money on those social services. You know, that's the real cost of the, of the our failed immigration policy. It's not just the the evils of the drugs being transported and the and the horrific impact that it has on our communities is the 120,000 people of opioid death died of opioid poisoning last year those are all real impacts the the violence on the streets is drug cartels are fighting for control of our streets and for the distribution networks for their drugs the fact that we don't have a border for all intents and purposes and, and we find uh uh, a lot of kidnappings occurring and with easy transit of people who are kidnapped in America being shipped elsewhere and, you know, and, and the United States becoming the largest country for human trafficking in the world. Uh, think about that. We're the largest country for human trafficking in the world because the coyotes who bring the illegal immigrants over are human trafficking. Those people get passed around um, many times as just basically chattel. And, uh, and are used for all sorts of things that are just terrible. And, you know, that's human trafficking. Biden can't run from the border crisis he's created. And as he talks about the budget deficit, imagine a budget deficit that didn't have to absorb the equivalent of the city of Los Angeles every, every year and a half, because that's what he's done. Is he's, he's allowing the equivalent of the second largest city in America to come into our country illegally, every year and a half. That doesn't count the million, one million um, legal immigrants who come into our country. So this is your, you know, so when he talks about budget deficit, imagine there's some things that can be done that can immediately impact the, you know, how much we spend uh, without having much of an impact on, on the cost, uh, on the human cost to Americans and people here legally and citizens. Um, let's see here, um, Florida girl. Good afternoon, Rick. I will not be giving the, uh, with the POTUS uh, clown, uh, State of the Union, blip of my valuable life this evening. I will have her vote to I am, I impeach the POTUS. <laughs> well, unfortunately for me, I have to. So <clears throat> I have a bunch of radio interviews tomorrow that I've got to do about it. So I, I don't get to, so. We'll probably do a quick live stream. We're going to have a live stream uh, or at least a video tomorrow morning 
that gets put up that'll have uh, about five minutes of commentary on it. Uh, Robert Romano will also be writing a uh, piece, likely a piece uh, about what he talks about the debt ceiling, since that's really the de definitive debate about the fiscal future of our country. Um, so we'll, we'll have a few things on that. And if it's, if there's a need, I'll, I'll go in and I'll do a dissection of it uh, tomorrow um, as well. Um, let's see here. Um, the old adage, okay, the rich get richer, the hardworking Americans get poorer. You know, that's, that's yeah, sadly, very true, Catherine. Um, you know, my wife and I often say, anytime we hear that there's a tax cut, tax credit, any of that kind of stuff, we always know. Well, we know we're not going to get it, A, and B, we know that somehow we're going to end up paying for it. So it's the way a lot of people feel as they hear about these government programs and you know, all the all the people who want to come from D.C. and say, I'm from Washington, I'm here to help. Trust me, they are not. They're here. They're there in many cases to line their own pockets. Um, you know, I surely you're. It, it's. I have to say, I, I. I think America, when America saw the China balloon going across the country, and our country and our military and our president's failure to even respond in a meaningful way, waiting for it to collect all the data that it wanted to, that they wanted to collect and then shooting it down. And since they could track it, they shot it down in a place where they didn't even have salvage vehicles, salvage uh, ships readily available and start the salvage ships flowing towards the low, towards the South Carolina coast um, because there are salvage ships on the on the East Coast, um, so they didn't do that. So you didn't have salvage ships even on the scene to engage in immediate salvage of the of uh, what fell. And um, you know, sometimes when the gang can't shoot straight, the reason is because they don't want to hit the target. And I'll leave it at that. Um, well, Catherine, I'm sorry, but you're, you're, you're dreaming there. You're dreaming. That ain't happening. It's a, uh, let's see what else we got. Um, yeah, you know, Tim, we, we saw the, uh, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, stand up and say that, they want the world to follow the China model of a, of a communist country with no freedoms, with minorities being uh, not just abused, but enslaved and, uh, and having literally having their body parts ripped from them against their will to sell to the wealthy. Um, Klaus Schwab thinks that China is the model that should be followed. And yet, uh, the Biden administration politicians still went to went to Davos to play to play around with the World Economic Forum. Um, it's uh, it's my hope that anybody who uh, anybody who gets reelected, anybody who gets elected in 2025, that one of the things they'll do is uh, disconnect themselves from the World Economic Forum. Um, yeah, Judy, it's it's. Uh, this is, you're right, it's a problem. And 
you know, one thing that though that I think uh, Senator Tom Cotton has le has legislation that would uh, take away the preferred trade status that China was given during the Clinton administration in 1998, and you know there was a stream that uh, if China was economically intertwined with the West, they would become uh, more uh, tolerant and uh, more of an egalitarian. Uh, egalitarian is wrong. Uh, more of a, a look more like the West, let's put it that way. And unfortunately, 24 years later, 25, 23 years later, the truth is that passage of this, of this uh, PNTR, Permanent Normalized Trade Relations, um, has made us look a lot more like China, rather than having China look a lot more like us. And so we had assumed that by being involved with, with this with us economically, um, our superior value system would transform them. And unfortunately, what's happened is our, uh, our value system has been uh, degraded um, over time to, to such an extent that uh, the idea of socialism is fine with a lot of people under the age of 30. And that's just astonishing. So yeah, we need to get rid of the uh, kind of the, the root of the tree is uh, normalized trade relations with uh, uh, China, and we need to make them pay a bigger tariff um, to import goods from China. And what will happen if they have to pay a bigger tariff is you want to get the supply chain out of China, make it too expensive to build things in China and ship it to the biggest consumer in the world. That's how you do it. And that's what Tom Cotton has introduced. And we're going to be pushing that really hard. Um, yeah, Catherine, once again, I, I wish, I, I don't think that, I, let, me, let me just, there's something, I, I'm going to talk about the balloon for a second. It's, there, we've got a really weird situation with this balloon because we're being told, we've been told like three different stories, okay? First story that came out was they were tracking the balloon and a decision was made not to shoot it down by the White House, okay, by the Oval Office not to shoot it down. The military was prepared to shoot it down. Ovalos didn't want to do so. After the balloon got shot down, after it traversed the entire country, the story was the White House wanted to shoot down the balloon all along, and it was the military that wouldn't do it. Well, if the military wasn't willing to shoot down the balloon and the commander-in-chief ordered them to shoot down the balloon, then there's a whole bunch of people need to be tried, need to be court-martialed. So that's two. Actually, it's four things. Uh, three, three, it's unclear what the intelligence agencies were actually saying, you know, whether they actually saw the balloon, um, initially, did they, were they tracking it from, you know, through North, South, around South Korea and up to Japan and up to Alaska and then down to Montana? Was it, were they tracking it before a, a cattleman looked up in the sky and saw a second moon that looked suspiciously like the Death Star and said, what the heck's going on here? Until that occurred, no, you know, were they tracking it? That's something we either need to, we need to know if this was an intelligence failure, which would explain why it wasn't shot down before it got to the United States, or if this was a, a failure of leadership by Biden and they made a decision not to shoot it down or if our military refused to shoot it down, at which point um, Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Chairman Milley, needs to be given his packing papers and he'd be, and he'd be lucky if he isn't court-martialed out 
if they refuse a direct order from the president. So those are the, you know, so, and then lastly, we have these weird reports out of the Pentagon, once again, which gives you credence to the idea that they wouldn't shoot down the balloon. And we got weird reports out of the Pentagon that there were two balloons that flew over, um, one over Texas and one over Florida um, that hadn't been tracked or that Trump, President Trump wasn't told about and the White House wasn't told about because they were afraid that he would, he would create World War III. Now, that's a, if that's true, Okay. And the source, the uh, the source of that is it's unnamed sources, but people I know believe that it, the source of it is the same guy who runs a co kind of a covert uh, section of uh, the Pentagon, who was behind the attempt by a guy named Stephen Halper to flip uh, to try to get um, one of the to get some get some people to show there was a there was a tie between uh, President Trump or candidate Trump and the the Russians at the very beginning of the Russia collusion scandal. So a guy who was who was tied into the Russian collusion collusion scandal is uh, a lot of reports are coming out that he was the he was the source of the two balloons during the Trump administration story. Um, and now the and now the Pentagon is saying, well, they didn't. White House wasn't informed of it, which, once again, ask yourself: if the Pentagon, if we have the spy spy balloons flying over our country, invading our territory, invading our sovereign territory, and the Pentagon is deciding, oh, we don't need to bother the president because I'm afraid he won't do. He, He'll he'll do something like ask us to shoot him down or tell us to shoot him down. Um, isn't that a you know that's not their decision to make? None of those guys were elected, so we've got you know so a lot of these stories coming out. If anybody's able to poke holes in them and find out who's behind it, the bottom line is somebody's going to be got to be held accountable, and the person who ultimately is accountable. Um, It'd just be interesting to see if Joe Biden's shoot down order was was neglected or denied, A, and B, did they hide from President Trump and the White House uh, sp Chinese spy balloons? Because remember, it was that it was uh, Joint Chief of Staff Milley, Chairman Milley, who reported proudly that during after the election and before the inauguration of Joe Biden, that he had contacted his counterpart in China to assure him that he would make certain that there were no um, that there were no erratic actions from the United States, essentially putting himself in the position of being the decider as to what the interests of the United States were, um, rather than the elected, the person who was duly elected president of the United States. So it's, there's a, there's an arrogance at the Pentagon, which is disturbing. And, you know, you hear all the time in these different countries about coups by the military officials. Well, a soft coup is one where a president issues an order and the order isn't followed. And even softer coup is there's a threat to the country and the military decides they're not going to inform the president because they don't, because, because they decide that they know better about what to do and how to handle it. You know, those are massive problems. They go to the heart of whether we're, uh, whether we are a representative democracy or are we, are we basically just controlled pawns 
based on the the intel communities and the and the pentagon deciding what we what the our elected officials are supposed to know and what they're not supposed to know and putting themselves in the place of being uh, the true leaders of our country <clears throat> i don't remember voting for general milley i don't know about you um florida girl I saw my gas readings from over two years ago thank goodness that i do yeah that's a uh you know, it's always nice to be able to show somebody and remind them of what it was um, and where we were. Um, the, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, um, Alan, I, listen, it, it doesn't take a genius to see when you have Susan Rice running domestic policy and, um, his foreign policy team are, are Obama, former Obama officials. Um, it doesn't take a genius to see that this is the, effectively the third Obama term. And in fact, there, you know, the fact is that um, a lot of the, a lot of things that, that are occurring in terms of spying on America were put in place in 2011 and come out of the, of the State Department. Um, so there's a division set up in the State Department that did that. So um, now, truthfully, the spying out of Department of Homeland Security law might have happened before this. Um, in 2018, um, the Republicans and Democrats came together and passed a bill that um, one about there's a small section of it which actually permits communication between uh, the Department of Homeland Security and social media companies in order to prevent misinformation, malinformation, and disinformation. And that authorization by Congress uh, has been uh, put on steroids under the Biden administration, although they were doing it in 2020. Um, it's put on steroids. It's a, it's a problem. And uh, you know, we have people you know, clapping and cheering when the disinformation board gets cut down. But the fact is the mechanism for the disinformation board is still there and they're still doing it. And we know they've been doing it for at least four years now. And both sides of the aisle are culpable on it. So one of the things we're determined to do is to try to make it so this, this communications um, dealing with everything from COVID to elections to you know, any number of other things um, that it get crushed. I'm going to just end with one other thing today. Uh, the House passed yesterday uh, legislation which um, ends the uh, ends a lot of the uh, COVID-related uh, vaccination um, requirements that have been put into place by Biden. And so that is a um, so that's good news. We'll see what happens in the Senate. Um, <coughs> And we will, and from there, we'll just, uh, we'll move ahead. But that's your, um, that's where we'll be. We're going to have, there's lots of good things that are happening. And um, and lots of bad things are happening. But I couldn't let the Biden State of the Union address go by without commenting on it a little bit. And we'll be putting out more copy um, tomorrow and maybe a little bit tonight on the, uh, on the address as it comes up. The one thing that all you people are saying you're not going to watch, uh, it's worth doing is after the address, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be giving the rebuttal 
And I think that'll be worth watching. So I would strongly encourage you to uh, try to time it so you can see Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but not ha not be subjected to Joe Biden, um, because I think her her response will be um, will be extraordinary. It's going to be on point, and, and I think it's worthwhile to watch. With that, I am going to uh, bid you a fond farewell, and we will likely talk to you tomorrow.